This is Pastor Matt at North Clinko Baptist Church. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Not Another Revelation Podcast. We hope you guys enjoy. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Um, you know, we warned you guys uh, in the very first podcast that we would get places where it seems like the action in the book is moving forward kind of in a linear way, and then all of a sudden, everything gets gets kind of janked around, and here we are. <laughs> so as, if you remember from last week, the seals are being popped, and they're progressively getting more and more destructive. We've had billions, two billion people, if the population is the same as it is now, two billion people who have died. Uh, war, destruction, sun, darkening, moon, melting, it's mass chaos, and then we just read after this. So, you know, meanwhile, back at the castle, um, and so we, we flash back to the throne room scene. It's almost like John's taking us forward in his vision, and then we get this phrase after this. Now, throughout the book of, of Revelation, whenever we read after this or after these things or then followed by see, look, behold, we know we've shifted visions. Yeah. And so we're back to the throne room scene. We've gone from uh, in between the breaking of the six seals and the seventh seal being opened, which we'll get to in 8-1, we have this vision, um, and we're going to open the can of worms of the 144,000. Oh, goodness. Here we go. Yes. Um, thankfully, no religions have been started over confusion over this. Or False. <laughs> <laughs> Not every commentary on the face of the earth uh, uh, on Revelation devotes chapters to this. <laughs> None of them are the same. Every single one of them are different. Yes. It's funny because in just general commentaries, when the commentator gets to a difficult text, either one of two things happen. Either they just skip it like, wow, that's that's some verses. And... Um, <laughs> Or you 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 can't find anybody who agrees with everybody. Yeah. Well, that's what we have with the 144,000. And I will say, uh, if you have a Jehovah's Witness come to your house, they will claim to be one of the 144,000. I mean, I don't know how that works. Like, do you get a certificate? Like, is it like a like a coupon kind of thing? Like, I don't know. I don't know how that works. Because, I, and I, like, I, there's more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses, though, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, like, that's kind of like that's these my biggest flaws. Like, all right, like a, guys, a couple of million. Which, which one of y'all? Who gets left out? Yeah, so I'm saying, like, from a percentage standpoint, it's a, like, there's there's more than that of y'all. So how does that work? And when the Lord does it come back and, and they die, do, does your 144,000 designation move to someone else? Does that... <laughs> is it is it a non-transferable thing? Or is <laughs> I don't it completely know. transferable? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, all right, so we're, we're going we're gonna to dive into this. Uh, this scene looks uh, a whole lot like what we read in Malachi, but first, let me uh, just read. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of follow the same format we did last week, where we'll read a little bit and then go through some, some discussion about it and then read a little bit and um, move forward. So after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal 
of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm earth or sea or trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So we have all the destruction that's going on in, in chapter 6. This angel cries out, Hey, everybody hold you, slow your roll. Everybody hold up. Um, and he's got a seal. It's a very familiar scene uh, in prophecy in Malachi chapter 3. Uh, in Malachi chapter 4, we kind of read the same, uh, about the same thing that's going on. Uh, let, me, let me read from 3.16. Then those who fear the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. And in the day I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing on its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and to the, the hearts of their children their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So, uh, first of all, th this passage in Malachi, we always, or not always, often in prophecy you see two fulfillments of a prophecy. You see a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. We see that uh, in the book of Isaiah I used as a sermon illustration a few weeks ago where Isaiah prophesies that, okay, behold, hey, looky here, there's a, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. And when he gets old enough to distinguish good from bad, then the thing that I have said is going to happen happens. And so the near fulfillment of that was is some young lady who was still a virgin, she was a, a maiden, gets married, mm -hmm. gets pregnant. That child grows to an age when he understands the difference between good and bad. What, what age that is, we don't know. So five, six years old, I, I, I mean... I've had kids that, that pretty early on would be like, no. Yeah. So um, once he can distinguish between good and bad, then the thing that, prophes that Hosea prophesied, Isaiah prophesied uh, happened. The, the king uh, that was coming upon Israel died and, and, and his son killed him and all that stuff. So that's the near fulfillment. The far fulfillment was when Joseph has a vision, an angel quotes this verse, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. Uh, that's Jesus. So you have two fulfillments. So in Malachi, this prophecy has a nearer fulfillment in Jesus. Elijah comes uh, in John the Baptist. Yeah. Now we see a far fulfillment of that where you're going to have the two witnesses that stand outside in, in Jerusalem outside of the temple who prophesy and 144,000 Jewish men get saved and they are going to go forth and preach the gospel. So yes. you have this dual, dual fulfillment. Um, we read uh, here that I, um, this idea of the four corners. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. So uh, a lot of commentators want to make a lot out of the four corners and say, um, you know, well, the earth is round. So there aren't four corners. So this is a pre-scientific view of um, 
as if God didn't make the earth. Yeah. And didn't know. Well, first of all, the earth is not round. Um, scientists will tell you that the earth has, earth has a bulge in the middle because of the rotation and gravitational pull, uh, primarily the rotation. If you take any circle and spin it really fast, it becomes an ovoid. Um, and so it's got a, the earth has a few pounds in the middle, has a little bit of, <laughs> has a little bit of a pudge in the middle. Little pudge in the middle. And so more scientifically than we knew a few years ago, there are actually four corners. Yeah. Uh, but this is poetic language. Duh. I mean, um, uh, let me read from Henry Morris's The Revelation Record. He says, this verse has long been derided as reflecting a naive pre-scientific concept of earth structure, one that supposedly viewed the earth as flat with four corners. In terms of modern technologies, it's essentially equivalent to what a mariner or geologist would call the four quadrants of the compass or, or the four directions. This is evident also from the mention of the four winds, which is common usage, and it would, of course, mean the winds from the north, south, east, and west. And it's interesting because in, in traveling around the world, just about every major building built on earth is built recognizing East, west, north, and south. Yeah, and it really just seems like that's going back to beginning of, beginning of times and directions and things like that and early engineering and things like that, like north, south, east, west, like that's kind of a thing that's been around for kind of a minute. And so it's like <laughs> yeah. like that one makes a – it's one of those things where I feel like in, in Revelations and, and a Revelation and some um, – whether it be theological heads or whoever, whoever has – uh, the time and wherewithal to sit down and, and write their commentaries on these things. I think it's one of the things where this could be one where um, we're going to put more there, or we're going to look really deep into something that's really not uh, that awfully complex, where it just it seems a lot more simplistic and almost pragmatic. Is like it's north, south, east, and west. It just seems like a lot. It's it's pretty. It's very. It's a lot more plain than we want to make it more difficult. And, and I will say that in Revelation study, and for those of you that that are tuning in because you you found this on a Google search about Revelation, you. You get this uh, just about every word where people yeah. have taken in any other book of the Bible, the hermeneutic is what is the simple, plain reading and what would the original hearers understood. And we don't make it any more complex. We don't, we don't try to be allegorical. We don't try. And yet when we come to Revelation, the same pastor who maybe um, would would look at the parables of Jesus and, and, and rightly say, okay, we can't read too much into this unless Jesus interprets it to his disciples immediately after that me sitting here going, well, the, the wheat equals this and that this equals that. Then if we start doing that, then um, as Augustine pointed out, we're really making that up. Well, in we the go. gospel of John, nobody gets that bent out of shape over what John wrote down. Like, be, because, oh, well, we, okay, yeah, cool. That's, that sounds good. Yeah, Jesus at, walked over there. Nobody's yeah. going, well, okay, so what's the significance of the Did fact? Did he walk? You know, like, no one's like, what does walking mean? Well, it's like, it means walking because he put walking. And, like, when he says four corners, it makes sense. It, well, there's four, the four points of a compass. Like, that That makes sense. And I, I could easily walk in my office right now and pull about five uh, uh, secular poetic books off the shelf and read this same sentence, and nobody flips out about it. <laughs> the four corners of the earth is a really common 
uh, Mariners use it, it's just it, uh, let's everybody needs to calm down. It, yeah, I mean, I just I, I swear I was like I think of four corners and I hear like well ga- the game four corners because that's pretty good that's pretty fun like the you know you get a rubber ball in the, in the parking lot but also like I like I remember like Pirates of the Caribbean like, they talk about the all the treasure and searching all that stuff I don't know why but like that's what I think of because well that's how you that's how you sell that's how you that's how you boat that's how you do those things that's what you use. All right, so we got we have four corners. Um, in fact, Jesus in Matthew 24, which uh, once we get into some of the the uh, the the trump trumpets and stuff, we, we probably need to take an episode and back into Matthew 24 because yeah. Jesus describes pretty much everything that happens in the book of the Revelation in about one sermon or in one sermon. It's not about one sermon. Um, and we, we're, we're going to have to stop and pause. But in Matthew 24, Jesus says the same thing. He says, uh, Matthew 24, 31, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from from one end of heaven to the other. Again, this is common language. We don't, we, we need to, all, everybody needs to settle down. We're, it's not, <laughs> there aren't four cornerstones on the earth and we need to find them because there's going to be a ring and with the ring we can find the code. This isn't Indiana Jones. He's just saying, hey, the, I feel like you described Indiana Jones, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and Lord of the Rings all in one movie. <laughs> right, in one movie. You just described all of them. I, I would watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's got Thanos. It's got... It's Gandalf. Got, I need Gandalf. It's got Gandalf and... And Scott Indiana Jones. And Harrison Ford. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> There you go. And again, I would watch that movie easily. So they are holding back the wind. Again... Everybody wants to talk about whether or not this is symbolic or this is literal. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it it can be both. Yeah. Okay, so it's symbolic in that um, the next phase of God's wrath is restrained for just a short period of time. Mm -hmm. He's holding back the wind. That is saying, all right, we've been popping these seals. All this bad stuff has been happening. I'm going to stop that for a minute because we're, we're going to change what we're looking at. So it's symbolic. And it's literal in that he stops wind. Now, that is huge because, uh, again, I want to go back to Morris's The Revelation Record, which is a good book. I would recommend it. The circulation of the atmosphere is a mighty engine driven by energy from the sun and from the Earth's rotation. Uh, the Borealis uh, effect where any spinning object is going to the, the air mass on top of it is going to move in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so this tremendous power involved in this operation becomes especially obvious when they're displayed in the form of great hurricanes, blizzards, and tornadoes. The winds of the earth make life possible on the earth through the hydrological cycle, transporting waters inland from the ocean uh, with which to water the earth. Yet the angels, only four of them had turned off this, yet the angels only four of them turn off the entire process, which shows God's power. Right. Okay, so once wind stops moving on the earth, this is going to have a massive effect on uh, the meteorological systems. Right now, uh, we live in the southeast, and so uh, we have a guy here in Birmingham called James Spann, and James Spann literally... Every newscast will 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 talk about what the weather's going to be this week and what the weather's going to be for the football game, uh, the, the important stuff. And then he will pan that camera over to the Horn of Africa and say, "All right, we got a storm here. We got a storm here. Why do we in Alabama care what's going to happen? What happens? What storms are going on in the plains of the Serengeti? Is because the way of 
this wind cycle works and the trade winds work is those storms that develop uh, in Africa actually create our hurricanes as they spin across the warm water on those trade routes. Um, and so that process stopping is going to have a huge mm -hmm. impact on rain, uh, where it rains, when it rains. It's going to have an impact on uh, the, the way wind is just an unbelievably powerful engine that drives the hydrological cycle, the, the meteorological processes on Earth. So this in of itself is a huge curse. So God says, stop. Destruction stops and the winds stop. And again, it's mind boggling to me that four angels, this is almost like, you know, they're, they're playing on their phone while they hold the wind back. I mean, <laughs> this thing that we think is so important to God is just like, hey, hey hold. And these angels are like, oh, yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the north. Yeah, yeah. North is done. So, all right, so I'm going back to... We're going to go back to Among Us. <laughs> so we got the four angels holding the, 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 the winds back, and then we see another angel. And whenever we read another angel, he's wanting us to, to catch uh, what's going on here. And so we have uh, uh, another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God... And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea. So you got the four angels holding back the wind. Another angel comes out of the sun. You know, it, again, looking at poetic terms, logic, and, and the simplest understanding of this, uh, if you think back to any World War II movies, um, the one of the things that, that uh, aviators tried to do was come at a target from the direction of the sun because the human eye is weak enough to where we can't look directly at the sun. Right. And so it's like something just appears out of nowhere, but in reality it's been traveling in a line from the target with the sun in that line. And so I think this is what's at view here. I, seemingly out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, it's coming from, I don't think necessarily this is saying that inside of the actual orb that's this, you know, explosion that's going on that we call our sun um it's coming out but maybe so it's i mean it says out of the suns but I, I think that he's being poetic here saying that out of the 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 visible sun another angel shows up he cries out to the four angels who are holding back the the wind and said do not harm the earth or sea or trees until we have sealed the servants of our god on their foreheads so he those angels are the angels that were when the seals were opened calling and get doing the bidding of God. They're holding back the wind. And this angel calls to them uh, with authority and says, hold, mm -hmm. we got, we got a thing. We got to do this thing first. Now we need to go back in our minds to what is a, what seal, what, what is a seal. And as we talk about the, the mark of the beast, Lord knows nobody's ever chatted that up. Yeah. We don't talk about that one much either. Yeah. 144,000, the mark of the beast. Two they, really, two really overlooked things. Sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> Sarcasm alert insert here. <laughs> You've got in this a seal, which we just talked about how when an important document was sent out, uh, it would be wax would be poured on it. Uh, super important people always had a signet ring mm -hmm. that would verify that this is legit and they would press the head of their ring into that wax. Well, that shows authenticity. It shows possession. It shows ownership. All of those things. This is, this is someone's, and, and it gives a specific, a pointing to said someone. Right. 
And so the 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 higher the the position of the person who's sending out that order or that pu- putting that seal on this document or in, in this case people the more important it is we see that in in Luke 2 in Luke 2 it says starts out and says and it uh, came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all should the world should be taxed and so here we have Caesar Augustus saying I everybody is going to have to show up for this census so I can know how much money I can raise. Right. Now, Joseph's wife is in a pretty well understood position in all of humanity that all right, we, we, they need light duty. She's great with child. She, she'd be, for the Southern term, she's ready to pop. She's ready to pop. She, she's, she, so she's great. I love how Luke 2 puts it. She's great with child. So that whenever a woman walks in, she's you know, eight and a half months pregnant, I always go, oh, she's great with child. <laughs> um, normally, in under most circumstances, just all over the world, if a woman is about to pop, people go, all right, just sit down. That's, right. I, I will get this. But in this case, she had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, whether she wanted to or not, whether she liked it or not, because this order came out. From Caesar Augustus. From the guy, the, the guy. And nobody argued with it. Nobody's been good about, well, look, I, you know, can I go in three weeks because she's going to have this baby? Can I, get a, can I do a mail-in? That's right. <laughs> can I do a mail-in vote? Can I do a mail-in? Can I do online? Yeah. Is there a Zoom? So, no, because it's Caesar. You, you better do what he says to do, or somebody will come find you and help you. Well, or, yeah, or <laughs> one less person on the census, you know what I'm saying? Hey, That's make right. it easier for us. Appreciate right. that. Less one to count. Um <laughs> So th- there's an example of that where that whose seal it is is what makes it important. One person's seal may be, nah, yeah, what are they going to do about it? Another person's seal. And we again, we see that throughout the Bible talking about just Near Eastern culture mm-hmm. um, when uh, the, the guys come from Babylon back to Jerusalem to rebuild. They bring with them the letter from Cyrus that says that they can do it. And he's got it sealed. And so... When people would say, what do you think you're doing, man? This is torn down. You can't rebuild this. They would just, uh, you need to read this letter. Yeah. <laughs> so it's important. And this, is, the seal is identified. It is the seal of the living God. It doesn't get any more important. Yeah. We, we see Jesus in his human form having a conversation with a legion of demons they don't question his authority. They beg for him to send them into pigs. There is no question that everything in the earth, under the earth, over the earth, understands whose seal it is and that it is not to be trifled with. And so it is the seal of the living God, as opposed to the seal of the Antichrist. Because we're going to see, uh, again, in 13... Uh, in chapter 14, in chapter 16, in chapter 19, the Antichrist has a seal because the, the enemy always imitates what God does. Definitely. And that's what we've called throughout Christendom the mark of the beast. And so here is God's equivalent of that, that these people will be sealed. God loves to put his mark on his people. Well, and this is, this is something... Because I see in Second Corinthians, Paul mentions this same phrasing. And so this is one of the things that I brought up with our students when we were talking through this was, okay, 
and I guess this is also part of me trying to like learn this and, and figure this out from my own, in my own head is, well, what is this seal and what does it look like? And so I think of, okay, well, I'm sealed because Paul talks about that as believers, as, 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 um, as, as followers of Christ, that we are then sealed by the Holy spirit. And so it was like, okay, so is it, is it the same process or since it's, or this, is it the same ceiling or since it's a different time, a different circumstances, is it different? And so that was something that we talked about with our students was trying to figure out exactly what that would be and how we're sealed. And, and that this didn't, to me, didn't seem like it was any different. Well, I mean, and Paul does say we are sealed until the day of redemption. And I think that the day of redemption is what we're essentially going to be, or we're looking at right, right. now. And so, yes, it, it is very similar. And, and I will say this too, throughout the Bible, when God marks his people, it's easy for us to forget that he's not doing that for himself. Right. Okay, so the text that we just read in Malachi, where it says that God has a book of remembrance, it that is not so that we, so that he is going, now, who have I redeemed again? <laughs> and he's having to flip through his book. Is is John on this? I, I don't, uh, yeah, right here he is. Yeah, okay, there he is. Got it. That's not what's going on here. That That is so that we can can rest. I don't know about you, but me as a believer, sometimes I will mess up and I'll mess up good. Mm-hmm. And I will think, well, if anybody can lose their salvation, I, I, I got, the, I'm that guy. Yeah, I'll, I'll head that team up. And so what the idea of a book of remembrance or us being sealed by God till the day of redemption is something that should give us uh, rest, that we recognize that my salvation is not dependent on what I do and don't do, but dependent on God doing what he said he would do. And what, is, what he's promised to do. Absolutely. And so uh, the example that I used when I was teaching th- uh, through this a couple of years ago was um, Israel's doorpost in the, uh, when we had, see this, that scene in the book of Exodus um, where Israel pl- is to place blood over the doorpost. Right. Uh, so when, when the angel of the Lord came, the text said that he, he looked and if he saw the blood, he passed over that house. Uh, that angel didn't have a memory issue. Okay, so the point of that is not because the angel's walking along with, with uh, a printout that God gave him and he's like, all right, it's the Goldbergs. I don't know, like, oh, but they got the gold. I mean, they got the blood on their pose, so the Goldbergs are, are good. Okay, look, next house. 301, 301B, ooh. Ooh, is, I don't, I don't, I don't see this on my list, this but they've tough. got the mark. I mean, we're going to have to call. We're going to have to call on this one. I, no, that is not at all what's going on. That is to for, for the children of Israel to have something that they can hold on to as they're hearing the screaming of the Egyptians. Hey, right. I've, I've done what God told me to do. God's going to do what he said he would do. Rahab Scarlet Cord. Again, that's for us, not for God to go, was I going to destroy Rahab or not? I don't Mm -hmm. don't remember. Um, And so here we have this seal that's placed on them, and they are the faithful. In Ezekiel 9, we read, Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it had rested on the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the forehead of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others, he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike your eyes shall not be spare, shall not spare, and you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch not who anyone who has the mark. 
and begin at my sanctuary. And so they began with the elders who were before the house. So we see that God loves to mark his people. God loves to separate his people out. It's fairly common uh, apologetic against Christianity. In fact, uh, it's funny because uh, when I was listening to me teaching this few years ago, mm-hmm. I used an example where a person had said this to me. Uh, this week, I was riding along. Um, my my truck is doing something crazy where the, my phone will not stay attached to it. So I'm listening to talk radio. And this guy, I think he's out of Atlanta, said, well, Christians, uh, people who claim to be Christians, they, they pick uh, what they believe out of the Bible. And he, it was almost verbatim what I... Uh, had said, someone said to me t- two years ago, right. he said, so these Christians, they, they'll, uh, they'll say that homosexuality is sin, but uh, they'll have sex with their wife uh, within three days after she has her menstrual cycle. So they don't follow that. Mm-hmm. Or I don't see any Christians that won't wear uh, a mixed cotton poly blend because, and the, the law specifically says that not to wear mixed clothes. And I see them all eating BLT and blah, 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 well, blah, I'll blah, be blah. the one who says that, you know, if, if, if on that same thread, I mean, I've got, I've got four tattoos. And so I guess I'm not, I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm, I guess I'm going to hop in that same bin. Absolutely. So yeah, the, the law says not to mark yourself, uh, to honor the dead. Um, so here we have, we have this misunderstanding about the law. And I, I want us to just kind of pause for a sec in Revelation and talk about the law that we have that God gave the children of Israel. Because I think it's important for us to understand how this is marking his children. So there are three types of laws that we have in Deuteronomy uh, that we have at the end of Exodus. We, first is the ceremonial law. So that's the law that says, okay, so... Uh, Israel, when they come before me, they've got to ceremonially bathe this particular way. The priests have got to wear this linen ephod, and they, they've got to have a breastplate on with this color stone and this color stone, and they've got to do all this stuff. And this is the way that I want the temple laid out, and it's it's very specific. It's really tight what they have to do to the point that Aaron, uh, right after they got the law, sons uh, decided to use strange fire. Don't know what that means. Um, uh, you know, they, they hooked up some LP gas and they weren't doing it the way God had told them to do. And he struck them dead. So that ceremonial law God took really seriously. Why? Because all of that, Paul tells us, is foreshadowing, foreshadowing Jesus. It's announcing that someone is coming that's going to be fulfill the law. Well, and we talked about with our students is uh, the last... Almost six weeks now we've been in Galatians. Well, one of the biggest things of, of Galatians, the theme is obviously the gospel and how our lives should be centered around that. But the thing that the Galatians are struggling with and Paul is frustrated with is how they're, they've got this mix, they've got this mixed view of the new covenant and the old covenant, the, what Jesus, the, the, the gospel that Jesus brought versus the law. And so figuring out the things of these are the things we got to do so that Jesus will like, Paul and Paul constantly says, "Hey, you guys are like foolish. Like this is dumb. Yes. Like you guys are like yes. Paul is really he is not upset. happy. He is really upset. And and so figuring that out, even for students, was hey, all this stuff that I've got to do. It, it's when we see the new covenant, we see relationship with Jesus is no longer about stuff. 
and much more about our faith in him. And then our faith in him produces stuff that represents him. Right. And figure and so essentially the new, co- the new covenant, it shows us that, well, the, oh, let me rephrase the old, the old covenant, the law shows us that we could never do that and had to have a savior who could do that. And that, at least that's the way that I would explain it to students. And the way that resonates with me is like, Hey, you know what? No matter how much stuff you do, you're never going to cut it. You're never going to, I mean, you could, you could hold yourself. We talked about when, uh, in some of the ch- their church podcasts, uh, when we were doing the health and fitness one about, Oh, don't, do the bad things. Don't do the bad things. And it's and it's thinking. If I keep thinking about not doing the bad things, guess what I'm going to do? The bad right, things. Because you're thinking I'm about thinking about doing the bad things, right. and it's no longer about. Oh, I don't just don't mess up. Just don't mess up. Well, it's well. Become more like Jesus. Become more like Jesus. Refine yourself. Become more like Jesus. And and those things. And it just it flips the script. But all of the old law shows us we needed a savior from day one. Absolutely. And that's what, that was one of the easiest way I could explain it, at least to our students was getting us to recognize the hole in our heart and the need for a savior. Well, and I had heard it described this way years ago. And I always liked that the ceremonial law was given as a, it's almost like a poster for a concert that's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. So once the concert happens, we don't leave those posters up. Right. And so they were they were foreshadowings. They were they were preparing God's people. They were setting the scene so that when Jesus came up and John could say, "Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world." Everybody knew what that meant. But once the Savior's come, then that old we don't keep the posters up. That old stuff that pointed to him, we don't need anymore. And the, and the concert was great. It was a good time. Yes. It, we had a blast. <laughs> so you've got the ceremonial law. You've got the fact that the law was written because Israel was a country, and it is the, the, the national law. Right. We don't have to follow that. So the ceremonial law, that stuff about what kind of clothes you could wear, to the you know not getting tats, uh, when I couldn't couldn't could not have sex with my wife because it'd be unclean that would fall under the ceremonial law the the that was overlapped with the nation of israel's civil law just like in america today we have laws that say uh on this type of road you can only drive 45 on this type of road you can drive 55 uh that when you go into a courthouse you can't carry a gun well, talk about the overlapping. Hey, uh, don't murder people. Uh, that's a, well. That's when you get to the yeah. You're getting ahead of me because that's sorry, when you I'm get sorry, to sorry, the sorry. the moral law. The moral law still applies to us because the moral law says don't kill people. Right. But also in the nation, national penal laws, there would be consequences. So p- people like to point out, hey, you say the law says that uh, homosexuality is wrong, but it also says to stone a rebellious kid. Well, one of those is moral law. The other is the civil law for that country. Right. It's just like if I'm reading the law of 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 Iran, that they say the the penal code for Iran says if there's a homosexual, they'll be thrown off the fourth, fifth floor of a building. That doesn't apply to me. I don't live in Iran. Just like the the laws for the nation of Israel don't apply to me. I, I'm not in that theocracy. I'm not Jewish, and I'm not Jewish, so that doesn't apply to me. So ceremonial law is not applicable because Jesus fulfilled it. The Penal code for the nation of Israel, the stuff like uh, don't, um, don't, uh, if you have a cow that, that gores someone to death, if that cow got out all the time and you didn't care, there's this penalty. If that cow got out for the first time and it was just an accident, then there's this penalty. It's just literally the penal code for a nation. It tells us a lot about the, the God's desire for among man there to be fair play. Right. Uh, it tells us a lot. So it's still 
worthwhile for us to read that and study that, but it's not applicable to me today. I don't read it to say, oh, well, because the law says this, I can't have a tattoo. Well, it's almost disingenuous if we try to do that. Yeah, it's almost like we're pretending. Right, and I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's good either because, again, there is a, di- a distinct separation between that those are that's God's people like that from the beginning of time those are God's people I'm not saying that we're not God's children but there's a separate entity of the Jewish nation the Jewish people and we as we're going to see in this chapter of of how that's of how that's distinctive like that has a special place and for me to try to play myself into that role is again a little bit disingenuous yes and and there are some Christian groups that try try to follow some of the ceremonial laws and they um, when I was uh, in my twenties, I went through a, a, a period of time where I tried to keep kosher, and my thinking wasn't I, I'm going to pretend I'm Jewish, right, but right, right. my thinking was uh, well, God's pretty smart, and so He made the human body, so He knows what what. Uh, what would be good for me and not good for me. And that, if somebody's doing that, that's fine. For me, um, it took one-fourth of July for me to get over that because barbecue is so good. <laughs> um, you got your cooking out, your burgers, your hot dogs, all those things, barbecue. Yeah, I'm not going to sit over and eat the gr- broccoli casserole. No. No, that's not going to Want the grape salad, please? No. I, I am free in no. Christ. I am free in no. Christ. Cut me some ribs, baby. <laughs> so, okay, so here's my point of all this. So there's a moral law. The moral law says don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. There's the nation of Israel's law. So within that, you have these laws in that ceremonial law that don't make a whole lot of sense to us. So one of those laws, and the one that I like to use as an example is, is you're not allowed to eat a goat, a baby goat, a kid, that has been boiled in its mother's milk. Not a sin that I'm really tempted to tempted to do. I I, struggle with that. Yeah, I I don't go to Big Chief and go, um, what you got on boiled goat? And if you, and, it, and, and go milk, ahead, go ahead and throw that bad boy in the mom's milk if you just got it laid around. <laughs> That's right. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> why in the world would God give us this law? Because all the nations around Israel had a practice where if you could not get pregnant, which is, you know, that is a terrible thing. I, I've, I've, uh, we have had people in this church who struggle to have kids um, that, that, you know, they, they end up spending thousands of dollars trying to do. IVF and and uh, we we pray and we pray and we pray and we beg God to give them a child and thankfully just about everybody that that Ann and I have sat and talked with or people in this church have all had children but um, in the ancient times what would happen there'd be all kinds of crazy superstitions like uh, you know a man's supposed to hang his pants on the right side of the bed and uh, you know we humanity ever since there've been humans have been superstitious. I mean, they're old wives tales essentially. Is what right. It is. And so one of those that all the nations did was you take a baby goat, you boil it as mother's milk and the mom will eat that. And then she'll get pregnant. First of all, that's not how that works. <laughs> Kids we will talk later. Uh, second of all, um, that is superstitious. That is looking to what the, what the world's best plan, Right. God is saying, don't do that. I am the God that opens and closes the womb. I want you as a people to be different. I want to mark you out where I am your God. You are my people. You don't go to temple and pray and then turn around and go and try to do all the superstitions. And do, pagan, and do goofy pagan things. Like that doesn't make any sense. Right. So um, God loves to mark his people. And 
we need to to recognize that today, and you, you talked about and how Paul says this in Ephesians 4, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We are sealed today. God expects us to be different in the world that we live in. We're not supposed to be just like everything in the world. We're the only thing different about us is that we got a Jesus fish on the back of our Well, I've got another one in here, literally above the Ephesians 4, where it says, uh, Paul writes in 2 Timothy, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And everyone who calls himself a believer, you're separate from this from from sin. Like that, you you're you're beyond that. You're different. That you're set apart from that. Yes, uh, and that is that is something that is super difficult for us to balance. It's not something that in Christendom, no generation has figured out how to balance proper theology with proper action. We all have our blind spots. We all have places where we fall apart. But our goal, what we're striving toward is that we are in the world, but not of it. We are different. We are not of this world. This is not our home. Well, and things like, and, and again, just personally within within my, my relationship and, my, and, and trying to do things in my life where it's like, and again, like these are things that have just, we've experienced within, you know, uh, me and Tom have talked about and things that have come up and uh, there's just been, there's been a particular incident where youth pastor Matt and just good old boy Matt, we kind of, those two things kind of rubbed against each other in the last few weeks. And I had to kind of had to say, Hey, you know what? Okay. This is a learning point where you're different, but also you can, you can still, you can still be, you can, you can still do things you can still you can still do ministry in a secular context, but you're still doing ministry. You're still called. You're still Absolutely. separate. And it's not even about doing ministry. You're just a believer. Like it's it's even Absolutely. it is that I'm doing ministry. It is that I'm a student pastor and called and ordained and all those things. But it's also I'm a believer. Again, I I I, I call I call the name of Christ. I, I hold that. I, I wear that. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. All of those things. And so you've got to be different. You can't be the same. And I, and have, and I've made that mistake particularly in the last few weeks and probably actually not probably definitely every day of, of, of those two things rubbing against each other. And, and you know, I wish I could say uh, now that I'm 50, I figure I figured this out. Um, I've got to check in that box. I'm ready to move on to the next thing. I'm ready to move away from elementary things to the deeper things of the gospel. Um, the meat, not the milk. Yes. So I wish I could say that, but the reality is, is, is whether you're a fireman, a policeman, uh, a pastor, uh, a nurse, uh, you work in a plant, no matter what you do, this is a tension that you've got to deal with, that you're in this world, but you're not. Up. You've got to get up every day, put on your pants, go to work, do the job that, that you're being paid to do, and at the same time, hold the fact that you're different. And there are times when those things rub up against each other, and you're going to have to say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Yeah, because in all those contexts, you may not be in areas or environments that cultivate being believers. I would argue that almost probably a higher percentage yeah, than not I, more more not than 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 yes. When, you know, if I worked at, at at an insurance company, they didn't care where I went to church on Sunday. What right. they cared about was these servers stayed up when we needed them to stay up and when I go to print that my documents come out of that printer. Mm -hmm. and they didn't care what the rest of it was and they didn't care if I had to stay over the weekend and I said, "Well, I got to go to church on Sunday." No, well, no, we got to be able to print on Monday. Right. And so your job is never going to cultivate your faith unless you happen to work in a Christian context or have a boss who's a believer. And I would say the majority of people listening to this podcast aren't in that situation. Right. And so this is something that we all are going to struggle with. We're all going to have to deal with on a daily basis and hold in tension the fact that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And the reason why God's left us in the world, we're sealed 
You're not gonna you're not gonna wake up one day and go up. Oh, you know, I'm back in the world. Uh, no, you've been sealed to the day. It is so that we can be salt and light. We can represent Christ mm-hmm. in those places. And I will say, having you know, changed careers midlife, where I went from being an IT guy to being a pastor, uh, I got more opportunities to talk to lost people about the gospel as a guy working in a mine than I ever have as a pastor. Yeah. Because everybody puts on this facade. In a weird way, it's kind of an immediate turnoff. It it really is. And it it could be they've been burnt by church or by other, unfortunately, other pastors or or family members who a plethora of different things where they could have been burnt. But it just, it seems a lot that it can be, oh, well, you're, you're the pastor. Well, all right, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for your spiel. If you really, really want to, want to be popular at a party, even in the South, we're in the buckle of the Bible belt. Hey, so what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm a pastor over at North Linco. Uh, oh. <laughs> All of a sudden, for some reason, everybody's hand is now behind their back. <laughs> uh, 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 yes, honey, I'll get you the dip. <laughs> Scott, I didn't hear anything. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. So, yeah, that's um, – whereas when I was just oh, – I, I worked for Drum and Coal. Uh, uh, then people were like, ah, so that's cool. So you're a coal miner? No, I work in the IT stuff. And, and and then you could bridge that conversation to the gospel. All right, so we're marked. I, I hope that we've dealt with the fact that what's happened to these 144,000 is special. It, it is definitely special, or John wouldn't give us a number. Right. But you listening today, you the listener sitting in your car listening to this podcast, putting on your makeup, listening to cop, whatever you're doing right now, you are sealed. And Paul makes it really clear that you're sealed to the day of redemption. You are to be different. You are to be other. You are to be strange. And and what that means, come where I come from, that is God says you are to be holy, other, different, strange, because I am holy. And so we are called to the same thing that these are. So um, the angel calls to the, the four angels, says, "Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their forehead." And I heard the number of the sealed, one hundred and forty-four thousand, sealed from every tribe of, of the sons of Israel. Twelve thousand from the tribe of Judah, twelve thousand from the tribe of Reuben, twelve thousand from the tribe of Gad, twelve thousand from the tribe of Asher, twelve thousand from the tri- tri- tribe of Naphtali, twelve thousand from the tribe of Manasseh, twelve thousand from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, and 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin. All right, so like I said, thankfully nobody's ever really, this is really an overlooked part of the (laughs) book of Revelation. Um, If you pick up a commentary, they're going to have all kinds of different things. And there, but there are two, there's two majority views. One is this is symbolic. Mm -hmm. This is the church. Um, I would say that this gets into what a lot of reformed theologians call replacement theology, that all the promises in, in the old Testament that are made for Israel, that the church has replaced Israel. And, uh, the other view is a literalist view, that there are literally 12,000 people. It doesn't tell us how they know that they're from Gad or from Reuben or from, from Nephtali. I, I uh, don't know if they're wearing T-shirts. Uh, you know, like if you go to some family reunions, you know. And you'll, they're all wearing different, like they're color-coded Color-coded, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Nephtali is purple, Manasseh is yellow, and they're all sit. I don't, we don't know how he knows. Clearly this is a spiritual vision, so he has some insight into that. Um, 
I don't, I know that there are people who really love the Lord, uh, who have studied God's word more than I have that fall on the replacement theology side. Um, Laying my cards out right here, I'm a literalist. I think that they're literally 12,000, 12,000, 12,000. I think that John numbering them is for a reason. He says in the next pericope, great multitude can't be numbered. And, we say, and he says that multiple times before him. He talks about myriads and myriads upon thousands and thousands of hundreds of thousands. You've seen before where when he gets in this numbering thing, there's so many he can't number. But then we get here and he is extremely, extremely specific about the number. Yes, and, and specific about from which tribe they come, which has led to all kinds of speculation over um, what, what usually is called the 10 lost tribes. Yeah. Okay, so l- let's deal with that straight up. Um, th- there's no such thing as 10 lost tribes. Okay, so there were 10 tribes that were carried away by the Assyrians, but we have all kinds of stories in the Old Testament where somebody may, may be from Nephtali, they're from the tribe of Nephtali, and, but they marry somebody who is from the tribe of, of Benjamin, and so they move. Mm-hmm. And so you've got people from each of the 12 tribes that are living in Judea, which did not get carried away by the Assyrians, or Benjamin, which did not get carried away by the Assyrians. But they're living there. And so they are Gadite, or they are Benjaminite, or they are, uh, well, Benjamites didn't get carried away. But so, so we didn't lose the genetic material of 10 tribes. Mm-hmm. And my experience has been just about everybody that wants to go on and on and on about the 10 lost tribes um, usually lo- love to point to... Um, Cherokee Nation, that, that oh, there's a lot of the linguistically, there's a lot of tie-in between um, the Cherokee language and Hebrew, and there's that, there, there's this, that, and the other thing. Uh, but ultimately, they're going to lead to white supremacy, right? And that the mm-hmm. ten lost tribes are made up of of, of crackers. Mm. That's what you're going to get to. I, I'm sorry, I, but I've never been around or read something that really gets into crazy wackadoo's theories about the ten lost tribes that they don't end up with whatever they are, and sometimes it's not white supremacy, it's, it's other supremacies, but we are one of the 10 lost tribes, and because we are uh, white, or because we're, we are black, or because we are this, or because we are that, or because we're a part of this group or that group, we're superior. Well, I've never seen one that says, well, this is what happened, this is, and you know, I'm I'm probably left out of whatever it is. Like that's, ne- that's never, ne- never, that happened. would never has happened. It's like, well, this is maybe the 10 lost tribes and maybe it's 140,000. Maybe it's more than that. And I'm probably, I mean, I'm, we're studying this, but we're not, I mean, I'm probably not in this. Never. Not no, happening. it always comes down to, I am special. It's all, it's always finagled and twisted and turned and, and, and formed to where I may not really be a Jew or one of these tribes, but I'll, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll be there. I'm here. And which really is kind of mind-boggling to me because Paul takes pretty much the book of Romans to say, okay, you're not a Jew, but you're <laughs> grafted in, and that the God that made everything that is, literally the God that looked out across nothing and said, you know, I'm going to make a universe. Let there be a universe. And that God chose you in Christ but According to Ephesians chapter one, before he ever said, let there be light, he looked at the way history would fold out and said, that one's going to be mine. And that's not enough. I want to be, I want to have, I want the t-shirt. I want to be able to say, hey, I'm Nephtali. Go tribe Nephtali. Wear my purple t-shirt when I go to the mall. It's like, for some reason, think of like the tribes that survivor. I don't know why, but that's just what I think of. That's right. <laughs> so, um... I, I really, 
I just I can't stress this enough, and I, I know I've said this in the other podcast. I've said this from the pulpit, but if you are a white dude and you take this book that we're studying, the Bible, and you somehow twist prophecy about a celebration of stories, laws, everything pointing to the arrival of a brown-skinned, brown-eyed Jew, and then the rest of the Bible celebrating that Jew— and somehow twist and warp this into white people are superior, you are really a special kind of stupid. <laughs> Could not have said it better. <laughs> I mean, it, it's mind-boggling to me um, when I hear some of the rhetoric that comes out of white supremacy about, you know, how Jews are bad. Well, you It's like, okay, believe that if you want to. You can hate whoever you want to hate. You can't use this book to say that. Well, like you said, <laughs> the enemy loves to imitate and use whatever some whatever tools or propaganda or whatever he can use to imitate to where for some reason someone somewhere is 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 hoodwinked into believing that this is that that is truth when it's it's not like not even close. It's actually much more rooted in sin than even tiptoeing towards uh, the gospel. All right, so these hundred and forty four thousand are sent out. So here we have the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. I, I, I think, think I've mentioned before, I had a professor that said that the book of Genesis is the Bible, is God's word, and the rest of the Bible is trying to interpret that. And so the mission statement of the Bible comes when God makes his covenant with Abraham and says, from your seed, I will bless the whole earth. We have the ultimate and complete fulfillment of that as these 144,000 virgin Jewish men are sent out around the world. And we read, after this, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from tribes, people, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Fulfillment of the Great Commission, fulfillment of the promise to Abram. This is, bam, God did what he said he would do in the light of everything in human history. All the, the millions of people have tried to stamp Christianity out. All of the times that it looked like, I don't know if this is going to work out. Again, John on a cave, or in a cave, on a little island in the old. middle of nowhere. Old. So old. Scarred from being boiled alive with oil, which could not have been a pleasant experience. No, not fun. Um, I, get, I mean, I feel, I mean, I get that way. Like the air's all in the sanctuary and I'm getting a little sweaty, but I, I would not boil alive. Mm, yes. We see, we see the fulfillment. We see, see uh, revival breaking out. And um, John says, hey, who are these people? The angel says, duh. He literally says, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. So this number that could not be numbered, this is different than the crowd that we saw at the throne room. Right. These are the people who would get saved in the tribulation. Um, so as we read, so keep this in the back of your mind, as we read the destruction, the seemingly held back movement of the Antichrist moving across the earth, doing whatever he wants to do, governing in a way that is, that is unjust, uh, it would be easy to go, all right, well, the lamb's lost control. This text is the preface to that. It won't let us think that. God is still in control. In fact, so many people get saved 
that they can't be numbered. And John knows how to clearly knows how to count to 144,000, which is a pretty big crowd. It's it's big. I mean, uh, that's more than Brian Denny can hold. I guess. In fact, I would say that the only football game that's ever been watched with more than 144,000 is the Tennessee game at Bristol. Uh, yes, that's a lot. There's a lot there. I want to say it was about 140,000. That's whew, we don't we don't need to we don't need to get into that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So they get saved the same way we do. It's interesting that the same language is being used here. They've washed their robes and made them white. So we can go back to the conversation about uh, purity, mm-hmm. victory, end of troubles. Um, they are their 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 robes are washed in the blood of the lamb. There's nothing. There's nothing. There there there's different in that they're saved during the tribulation. They're clearly a, a crowd of their own, but. Uh, they're saved the same way we are, right? So, which is encouraging I, <clears throat> for someone who uh, would be, and I was gonna I, I almost slipped up and said for someone who would be left behind. Mm. I got really like I mean I know I just said it, but like in like I paused myself to make sure I didn't say I'm it. I'm sorry, that's I'm copywritten. Sorry, I'm sorry, Kirk. I am so sorry, man. <laughs> I apologize, <laughs> but it's encouraging for the people who are still here after this. Is that you see that it's like okay because somebody somewhere I, I have full faith that someone somewhere is going to have uh, obviously a head knowledge of scripture and these things and and it not click until this moment to where they. Uh, are, are just on fire for the things of God, which would be fantastic. And you see this, and it's like, hey, it doesn't, it doesn't change for us. It doesn't, cha- it doesn't change for us. Yeah, I know, you know, some people are gone and things are going on, but it doesn't change for us. God's still God. God's still on the throne. And to need to preach that and to see that if you come to God, if you repent, you can be washed in the blood of Jesus, which is still, again, I think, really encouraging. That even all this stuff's going on, God's still on the throne. His sovereignty is still at play, and it hasn't changed. That yes, that the gospel is still the gospel. That. Even in the light of everything on earth going absolutely crazy, sun turning black, moon dripping out of the sky, that the gospel is still that Jesus came according to the scripture. He died according to the scripture. He was buried according to the scripture. And he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. And so the good news is still the good news. Mm -hmm. And that the only way anybody makes it to heaven is because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so we uh, who are, uh, are, are here today are dependent on the same gospel that these who get saved in that. And so it's exciting, though, to see 144,000 missionaries being sent out from Israel uh, who fulfill um, exactly what God had called Abraham to do. In fact, uh, John MacArthur puts it this way. This critical passage reinforces the biblical truth that God is not through with the nation of Israel. Though Israel failed in its mission to be a witness to the nations in the Old Testament, that will not be the case in the future. From the Jewish people will come the greatest missionary force the world has ever known. And the result of their effort will be a redeemed Israel and innumerable redeemed Gentiles. And that's that's MacArthur's Revelation 1 through 11. So here we see the nation of Israel turning to Christ and the just innumerable. Again, he says, it's so many, I can't count them. And he knows how to count. And they're standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes, saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. It doesn't get any better than this. This, uh, John, in fact, breaks out into song. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. 
For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So all that's going on in the tribulation, when they make this throne room scene, we have a preview of the new heaven and the new earth where God wipes away their tears. All their struggles are over. Victory is achieved. And they achieved it through the lamb and through the work that he did. Mm. Good stuff. All right, so next week we're going to pick up the seven seals. We're going to kind of shift back to that. Um, so the, well, I mean, this is essentially almost like a parenthetical pause. Like it's like this is happening, this is happening. Hold on for a second. We're going to go back, and then we're going to pick back up exactly. right after this. And symbolically and realistically, again, the, the angel is like, hold. <laughs> hold you slow. Slow your roll. Whatever he said. <laughs> and uh, we have this break to kind of remind the reader that, as things fall apart, seemingly, that God still knows what he's doing. Right. And that, that's super important for us to, to keep a handle on as we start reading about some of the craziness that's going to go on here. So just wait for the demon hordes. It's going to be great. Oh, <laughs> yes. All right. Y'all go serve your king. Thank you guys again for joining us on this week's episode of Not Another Revelation Podcast. You can join us live in person each Sunday at North Pinko Baptist Church at 10 a.m., or you can go to our website, northplinko.org, to watch our live stream or check out our other podcasts, ministry information, past sermons, and past worship service. Thank you guys for tuning in.